Welcome back to Talking True Crime. Today's live podcast will feature an interview with the reporter Tanya Faust. She's done some brilliant work in raising the cases of anonymity. And this is anonymity to get it lifted on paedophiles who have had that opportunity to commit their crime, be convicted, but not have their name in the public domain. And she's going to talk in relation to that. So I'm fascinating interview with her. But before we do that, I want to bring you the latest in the search for the missing baby, Constantine Martin. We don't know where that child is. There's more than 200 officers now searching an area of, of 91 square miles. The couple have refused to reveal where Constantine Martin's child is, or whether it's a boy or a girl. The case has now been featured worldwide. It's receiving huge national attention, and the fear of the police is that the child has died. Constantine Martin and her partner, Mark Gordon, were sought by the police in relation to the welfare and safety of their child. After 54 days, they were finally arrested yesterday. Constantine's father, Napier Martin, told The Independent at the time of that arrest that he has immense relief that his daughter has now been found, but he said he's extremely worried about the newborn baby. Initial details in relation to the arrest of those two was that they arrested in relation to child neglect. They have now been further arrested on suspicion of gross negligence manslaughter. Detective Superintendent Lewis Baysford said that the risk to the missing baby was now so great that the officers believe that the child, the baby, has come to harm. Let's play the clip from the officer yesterday. The pair were arrested in Starmer Villas at around 21.30 hours on Monday the 27th of February after a member of the public saw them in the shop in Hollingbury Place. I can confirm that they were initially arrested on suspicion of child neglect. I can now confirm that they have been further arrested on suspicion of gross negligence manslaughter and that they remain in custody at police stations in Sussex. So obviously the arrests occurred obviously last night, um, obviously just after 9.30. We've had significant periods of time in the custody facility uh, with both Constance and Mark. At this time, we have not furthered that information, um, which has now obviously led to the position where we feel that the risk is getting so great that we now have to consider uh, the possibility that the baby has come to harm and that will now be subject as part of that investigation by the officers involved. Have they admitted to that? The, on, the investigation is ongoing. The, the interview process is continuing. Um, and no, at this time, it's purely based on the fact um, of part of the investigation strategy. But I will you know, reiterate that we still remain focused on a search and an open land search to find the baby safe and well. So that was the detective superintendent talking yesterday in relation to the search. Certainly this morning, that search still is ongoing and the police are becoming less optimistic that that baby will be found alive. Let's go live now to the scene to Andrew Gardner from the Brighton Argos, who's going to give us an update. Andrew. Hi, Mike. Um, yeah, so at the moment, I've been uh, in and around Hollingdean and Brighton, um, where police have been searching uh, for the missing baby. Um, they've expanded their search from yesterday, which was very much uh, focused on the allotments and the surrounding areas to now, as you said, uh, you know, an area of uh, several square miles now. Um, 
Police have been searching in Wild Park. Um, that's about a mile down the road. Uh, they've had dogs and we've had specialist search and rescue units as well um, turn up in, in the area to help find the baby. So that search is still ongoing. And my correction, it's Constance, not Constantine. Constance is in custody along with her partner. Neither of them are giving any indication as to where this baby is. There was a very important sighting yesterday, which has obviously led to their arrest. And, and part of that sighting yesterday was information that they were carrying a suitcase just hours before their arrest. Do you know anything more about this suitcase? Um, yeah, so just hours before their, their arrest, they were seen um, walking down Stammer Villas uh, in Hollingdean and they were captured on CCTV as well, which we've got on our website. And um, they were walking around uh, uh, carrying uh, several things. They had sticks and, as you say, a suitcase as well. And they were arrested close to the allotment. And this is why the police are very much focused on the allotment. Uh, and searching that area. There is an exclusive piece of footage that's been obtained by the Brighton Argos, which shows this couple moments before their arrest. Let's play that, Jodie. So that footage is very revealing, isn't it? Certainly not together. They are separated. They're not communicating at that point in time. That looked to me that that was Mark Bishop with the coming behind with what looked like a very big stick. And he looked to be quite uncomfortable in his walk. That's right. So in, he was walking, as you say, with a stick um, two metres behind her. Um, almost hobbling um, as if he has suffered some sort of injury, um, which is quite interesting to know. So that was Mark Gordon with the stick and, and looked to be quite uncomfortable, not able probably to walk very far. Um, I think that's definitely reasonable to say. Uh, obviously, Constance as well at the start appeared to be quite rushed. Um, and, you know, she, in further CCTV that we've also got on our website, you can see that she stops and waits for him, um, for him to catch up as well. And that footage is from a ring doorbell. And it certainly gives an indication that they were out and about, of course, without the baby. Uh, the baby is now the significant element of this investigation. That is where the police are entirely focused on. You are over 200 police officers square, you know, trying to search an area of 91 square miles. So it's a, a massive area in order to cover. Have you seen some of that searching today, Andrew? Where have they been really focused on? Um, they've been everywhere, uh, if I'm honest with you. They've been, um, there's been a focus in Wild Park, um, which is just behind me and also in front of me, really. It's, it's a major sort of big, big open space in Brighton with uh, forest and all of that. There have been uh, search and rescue teams there. There have been police there. But also um, inside uh, sort of more residential areas of the city in Coldine, we've seen uh, small groups of police officers uh, scouring open areas of grass just if, to find any evidence um, at all that might... 
Uh, and just to be clear, the reason they're searching that area, particularly of the allotments, we can see some of those shots from yesterday, was that that was very close to the area where they were sighted. They'd just been to buy some shopping supplies. They were carrying those supplies back towards the allotment. And that, that is at the point to which they were seen by a member of the public who watched them for a period of time, phoned 999, and the police turned up. And I think they initially... Uh, arrested him. There was a small struggle whilst he was arrested where he was shouting uh, quite aggressively and then they detained her uh, and of course they then got them both into custody. The police have said very clearly that their view is that they have been sleeping rough. They've been sleeping in a tent uh, and they've been sleeping outside. Have we seen evidence of that tent? Have you been able to locate the area that perhaps they were sleeping in? Um, at the moment no I've not. Um... However, obviously, so I think we've probably lost some of that uh, footage of Mark. Mark, if you try and find a slightly just move around a little bit. We'll try and come back to you very shortly when we get a better single signal. Let me just run you through the timeline in relation to uh, the couple. So it starts on January the 5th when Martin and Gordon's car is found on fire and abandoned on the hard shoulder of the M61 in Bolton. It's believed Constant had given birth in that car, that can't be certain. But what we do know is that she left the child's placenta in that car. That's now been sent off for analysis. The reason of the analysis is to try and identify whether or not that child is male or female and could potentially identify anything else that could be wrong with that child. The next sighting is January the 6th. They take a taxi to Liverpool and then to Essex where they arrive about 3.30 a.m. They arrive all in Essex is where they're then seen again in Hark in 9 a.m. on January the 7th. And later that day, they're caught on CCTV back in London, this time at East Ham Station, from where they take a taxi to Whitechapel Road, getting dropped off about 6.15 p.m. It's there that Gordon goes into a branch of Argos alone and buys camping equipment, sleeping bags and a two-person tent. The couple walk around the area for a number of hours trying to get a taxi, but they're unsuccessful. Shortly before midnight, they do get a taxi and that takes them to Harringay, again, another borough of London. January the 8th, so the next day, 1.25 a.m., so always early morning, they take a taxi from Harringay all the way down to New Haven, Ferryport in East Sussex where they dropped off at about 4.56 a.m., a pretty costly travel fare. They walk to an area on the A259, which crosses the B2109, and they are seen sheltering in an overpass away from the rain. Around 6.15, they then walk into, are seen walking into a field carrying bags and a blue tent. January the 9th. This is when the baby was last seen, when the couple was spotted in New Haven, East Sussex. Let's go back to Andrew. Andrew, you told me yesterday about that sighting in New Haven. That is the last sighting of the baby. That's right. Um, so the last sighting of the baby was on January 8th uh, in New Haven. Um, 
they were spotted on CCTV um, both near the port and also in uh, a road quite near the South Downs um, on in, in the Denton area of of of, of the uh, of, of the port town. One of the comments from the police when they were asked questions yesterday at the press conference is, do they believe that the baby could still be alive? Uh, and they came back with, obviously, as hours grow, that likelihood is, is diminishing. But they did say that there was always the hope that potentially, given the fact that they would, did withdraw a considerable amount of money, potentially up to 15000 that that baby has been left with a friend or a relative because they were able to pay that. There's been no news in relation to that, uh, and that nobody has come forward in any way, have they, Andrew? Uh, not yet. No, they said that it's still um, open and that the inquiries are still open um, in, in that regard. It's a huge area to search. It's been swamped by officers from both the Metropolitan Police who are leading in this and also officers from Sussex. We talked in terms of mutual aid. This means another police force can provide uh, officers to support. And, and the great thing about Metropolitan Police is one, that they're very close nearby, that's not too far from them to travel down. But but more importantly, and we can see officers there in the allotment, more importantly, they have officers in tactical support groups who are constantly available for deployment. And therefore, very quickly, those uh, those vans would have come down to Sussex and be able to provide that support. Of course, we've also seen the helicopter. We've seen drones. They've got dogs out there. I think there were some comments this morning in terms of specific dogs turning up to be able to look for potentially, you know, deceased bodies, what we would call as cadaver dogs. Have you seen any sight of that? Has a helicopter been up today? Um, so in terms of helicopters, I believe there's a news helicopter above me right now. Um, but there's been, I've seen drones in the air. Um, I've heard of dogs. Um, I understand that Sussex Search and Rescue, um, so they're a specialist sort of search and rescue organisation, are also uh, on the scene today. Uh, and I've, I've seen them uh, around the Wild Park area. Um, and they're looking in bushes, trees um, and, and all the sort of undergrowth inside the forest there. One of the questions is, do we know what they bought from the shop? Do we have any indication what type of items they bought from the shop? Not at the moment. Um, I have visited the shop um, and I've tried to uh, speak with them. Uh, however, at the moment, it's not quite clear um, in, in, in that regard. Jodie, let's play that uh, door CCTV again. I find it quite interesting in, in the way that they are behaving. So, so that's first of all, we see uh, Constant Martin there at the very front, uh, looking down what looks towards where we see the direction of Gordon coming from. And then she starts to walk off, very covered, uh, has a long dress on and a big coat. And then we see Mark Gordon, he he definitely is walking with quite a substantial limp. I haven't studied the other CCTV, but it certainly looks like his his condition, whatever it is, has has got worse. Sorry, Mark, I just missed that. I don't know if you'll be able Sorry, to I, I'm just looking at that CCTV. We see initially Constant Martin at the very front, where she is obviously saying something to him. She then turns around and walks away, and she's got a long coat on and a dress. And then we see uh, shortly coming into frame there, we see um, 
we see Mark walking along. Now, he looks to be in quite con some considerable pain. And having looked at some of that CCTV pre previously, I, I don't remember seeing a, a limp to that degree. No, um, certainly not. That seems to be quite a new development. Um, and even uh, I've not seen him with a stick before in, in any of the uh, footage we've seen either. So I think something must have happened uh, in, in that time to, to warrant that stick. What was the vid what was the weather like last night? Um, again, last night was very cold, um, and even into this morning, um, my hands are a bit purple. Um, and I think that that weather's set to continue for, for, for some considerable time. And we see shots there of the officers searching. I mean, they literally are searching every possible where area that a child could possibly be left at. The question now for the police is obviously to find. Uh, the baby but there is quite a wide area not just the area of course where they are but they have traveled and the last positive sighting is january the 9th in new haven so there is a possibility that the child could be anywhere between new haven and where they were subsequently arrested in brighton and beyond um i mean obviously it's well over a month and a half really since that sighting and you know, it's a solid sort of five or so miles from here to New Haven. Um, and you've got, you know, the South Downs National Park, you've got several different walks. Um, and, you know, there are loads of places you can go where, you know, you might not see another soul for hours, days even. Um, and in that time, uh, if they've went that, that long without being, being found, then I think that goes to show the child could be anywhere, really. Yeah, well, if you want to study that CCTV, which I found quite fascinating, you can uh, look at it on the Brighton Argos website. Of course, you can play this video back after we've gone live, we've come off air. Uh, it is a really interesting video, a clip of CCTV, which is taken actually moments prior to them uh, being arrested, because that is their trip on the way to the shop. Uh, there is some footage I've seen certainly afterwards in terms of them coming away. But that is really quite unique and great footage uh, from them walking towards the shop. Andrew, are we expecting any developments today? Are we expecting an update from the police perhaps later? Again, I hope so. Um, obviously, yesterday we had uh, an update from the police around 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, and obviously... We've had a very similar search today um, and we're really hoping that we do hear some some updates as to how that search is coming along and if there have been any developments again have you had any have you had any comments from any of the residents are, are they all out and about i mean this is a big story for obviously the local residents there and probably quite distressing that's right um so i've been speaking with the councillor for hollington um who says that you know the community have all come together there you know, looking in their back gardens, looking in their sheds. Um, she did say everyone's quite anxious at the moment um, about what the outcome might be, um, but their fingers are very tightly crossed. And what we know is that both Constance and Mark are both in custody, but refusing to give any information to the police. That was their position last night, and it's still their position today. They are not giving any information as to where the baby is. They've refused to say what sex the baby is, whether it's male or female. They are not engaging in any way at all. In fact, they've taken themselves off grid for not just the last 54 days, which is when obviously they've been looked for, but actually much longer than that. They've been uh, ostracised really from their families, but also they've taken themselves off grid, grid living quite rough and 
you know, nomadic in a way for quite some time now. There was, of yeah. course, this update yesterday from the father, and I know that the mother has reached out. Those are you know, real heartfelt reach out to try and find you know, a connection with her, to try and say to her, listen, you know, whatever's going on in your life, we are still there to support you, which I think has been really positive coming from the family to say, look, you know, whatever's happened, whatever's gone on, uh, we are here to support you. There is obviously the aggravating factor quite considerably in relation to uh, Mark's background. You know, this is an individual who was convicted of rape and battery in the United States. He aged 14 and he received 20 years. He was then deported back to the UK and went on the sex offenders register. And that undoubtedly has caused the authorities to be increasingly concerned, particularly when there is a young baby being born into the household. Uh, and in fact, that is why the police raise the concern. People have said you know, on social media, I've had people ask me, but why, why haven't they just been allowed to go on their own? They're adults. Well, the question, the, the reason being is because of the child. You know, the child is at risk when it doesn't receive any medical attention and they are not co communicating or cooperating in any way to provide support. And initially, the first notification that went out in the public domain was very much about getting contact just so we can make sure the child is safe and it, once the child is safe we can then go through those assessment processes she didn't want to engage and she then decided that she was going to go uh, effectively you know on the run disappear go under you know undercover and totally off grid they bought some mobile phones they had you know sim cards which were non-traceable uh, which is harder to do, but you can still obtain them. So that is why they managed to stay off. And I hope that the, and I'm sure the police will be, trying to use as much data and much you know, footprint intelligence as they can gain to try and find out where they have been. Because, Andrew, all we know is that January the 9th, they were in New Haven, and yesterday they were in Brighton. Now, that's a long that's a short distance there's only five miles to travel between new haven and there but and the question is is where have they been in between i mean is there a suggestion that they have been camping in the area where they were found for some period of time or have they recently arrived there do we know any of that there's really um not much information either way um obviously that they, they have to have traveled uh between new haven and brighton at some point um, I, I wouldn't say that that journey would take well over a month. Um, so at some point they must have settled down for a bit or they've been on the move, taking on a longer distance. Yeah, I mean, don't forget he hasn't, he, he couldn't walk very far, I don't think, with that limp that we saw in that uh, that footage. Uh, but they have, you know, been using taxis and we don't, we don't know, maybe some of their money has you know, there's certainly their money will have, have been reduced, but perhaps they've even maybe run out of money. Anyway, this is a developing story. Andrew, thank you so much. The focus now, of course, is for the police to find this young baby. We all hope and pray that it will be good news. But I think from the police officer leading the investigation, the superintendent yesterday, he was less hopeful that there was going to be a positive outcome. I know that uh, everybody is doing all they can and the police are utterly determined to look at every line of inquiry, search every possible area where this baby could be. Andrew, thank you for following the story for us. Do keep us updated 
Uh, it'd be very interesting to try and find out you know, that uh, what was potentially bought in the shop uh, and also whether or not they had likely have they been in that area for some time. But, um, you know, if you're able to ask those questions, but look after yourself, stay warm and we'll join you very shortly. Thank you. Take care. So that was Andrew Gardner, the uh, reporter for the Brighton Argos, who are doing a brilliant story in covering this case. You can go online and you can see their live updates at Brighton Argos, uh, or you can also follow us. We'll keep you updated. But it is a developing story, and I suspect over the forthcoming hours, we will get further updates from the police. This is now a search to find a body, most likely. The sad reality is, is the police themselves have been very clear that the likelihood now of finding this baby alive is very, very slim. Let us just hope that there is the smallest chance that she or he is still alive. And let's pray that they will get some luck. They'll get a breakthrough. They'll get a piece of intelligence coming to them. The work they're doing behind the scenes gives them that breakthrough. Or there is some conscience that both Mark or Constance have, and that they will tell the police where the child is. Thank you. Well, let's move on now to our guest for the day, an amazing reporter who has done a brilliant job in getting the anonymity of paedophiles lifted, a tenacious reporter. Tanya Fowles is an award-winning journalist for the Impartial Reporter. She won the coveted uh, Local Democracy Report of the Year Awards and has been challenging in a brilliant way, because I think that's what the media needs to do. It needs to hold authorities to account. And when it's done right and when it's done properly, it makes a huge, significant difference for the community and for the people that it represents. It's challenged the courts, it's challenged the authorities, and as a result of that, has directly resulted in names being released when they've been hidden. Let me set the scene. A child sex offender who admitted to trying to sexually communicate with what they thought were two females, two female children. It was in fact an undercover police operation. Is granted anonymity after threatening to self-harm if their name is released. And there's another paedophile who admitted 22 offences involving possessing, distributing and making indecent child abuse images, was again granted anonymity for life on the grounds that he could self-harm. Is that right? I don't think it is. And neither did Tanya. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me. What, thank incredible, you. what an incredible case those two are. Let's break them down and deal with the very first one in relation to the undercover uh, operation. It's actually the tip of the iceberg. This has been going on for years. And the issue there was... Uh, he claimed that he, he had no issues psychiatrically beforehand, but when he was detected, charged or brought in for questioning and informed that you've actually been speaking to an undercover officer, his first reaction was, well, I knew that. And I just wanted to see how long it took to get caught. Um, but within two weeks, he has told his lawyers, oh, well, if I'm going to, because it's a 28 day charge sheet to get him from there to his first appearance in court, I'll kill myself if I'm named. And that's literally all you have to do to get an order. 
because of the delays in the system, and I'm sure it's the same everywhere else, but the PPS over here are under huge pressure at the moment, probably a throwback from COVID. But in order, they get an interim order, but because the judge is loath to, it's all based on Article 2, right to life, they mm. by default get anonymity right to the end because it takes so long to get a psychiatric report. It's never a treating clinician. It's always one that the defence bring in for the sole purpose of deeming this person at risk. Now, that worked for a while. And just this is why we're tighter on it now, because if Article 2 is being applied by the court on press in the, the sense that they cannot put this man's life at risk, we were then saying, well, what about his doctors? They're equally bound by the Human Rights Act. Why are they not sectioning this individual? Bottom line is, it never reached that threshold. But they are telling us that you can't publish his name. He's at real and imminent risk. And when we see real and imminent risk, we used to go, well, nothing we can do. We now hit back and say, well, where's the evidence of what his doctor has done? Or this treating clinician who you got legal aid to, to, to form this report I certainly wouldn't want to put anybody else through a psychiatric assessment, but that's literally what it's going to come down to because it's between press and the court. And so, the judge... Go ahead. So are you seeing that in relation to not just paedophile cases, but other criminal cases? I mean, are, are defendants using this as a, you know, a way yes. to stop their name coming out? Yes, but in, in the majority, it's sex offenders. Right, because, and, of course, it's the most heinous crimes and people are, you know, the least forgiving in relation to those crimes when they take place. I, but that's the problem. If you have, I would say, 95% of the challenges that I do in these instances are sex offenders. Mm. And that in itself is a problem because it's becoming almost automatic that you seek anonymity. That If it lasts through and there are issues there, I can understand that. But I need to see that action is being taken. It's not up to us. And let's be honest, publishing isn't the problem. It's other people finding out. Yeah. So there's a bridge there and we're we're moving around some of them, but some of the judges just terrified of the idea of an Article 2 breach. But we, we, we now, Northern Ireland has the proud total of adding a permanent anonymity to the existing six who included Maxine Carr, um, the the the, jo the Jamie Bulger killers. That's the level that gets lifetime anonymity. A sex offender who will reoffend. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and why is that being granted? Just just uh, so I'm slightly lost to understand. So they're basically saying their initial argument is is that they might kill themselves. But whilst they've then been put into custody and they're in the safety custody element of the of the prisons. How is there then an ongoing anonymity justification? The majority of sex offenders over here are, depending on the crime, are released right. on probation. So, Whether they're non-custodial, this is relating to. Um, we had a few who tried to keep it on while they were in custody because they believed they were at risk. But we had a wonderful judge who absolutely threw that out the window and said... This person has the protection of custody. Absolutely. That's the point and I was it making. Really, it became a, a cornerstone for us to build our argument on. Yeah.
I mean, that's the point, isn't it? And the point I was making mm -hmm. is if they're in custody, the, mm -hmm. the very nature of being in, in custody, whether that be the police or pri prison, you know, is there to protect them. So this has become quite a big issue for you. I mean, in terms of the courts, mm -hmm. are you finding that the courts are very much in favour of the defendants or are you seeing that they are saying, hang on a minute, we're now supporting you and that they really need to justify it? 50-50. Um, we have some judges, and that this is what's the problem. We don't have a uniform approach. Some right. judges won't touch it. It's just go away, you know. They won't, they won't touch your appeal no. for the rate? No, no, they won't, they won't touch an application. They simply say, look, right. open justice. I'm not yeah. interfering with it. Okay. Now, we, we had a slightly different one last week where it was a police officer was charged with misconduct. Right. Over here, no police officer faces court on their own address. And that's just part of the security measures. So right. he has a, the, the default address of a PSNI police station. And he he actually went to a judge and said, I need, I didn't say a word to press, no advance notice. This man needs anonymity. He's under threat. Well, there's a generic threat that's yeah. existed for oodles of time here. But a deputy judge was sitting and he looked at it and he went, oh, my goodness, substantial damage could be caused here if I don't make this order. So we then tried to intervene and because everything's site link at the minute opened the link and said, excuse me, your worship, and we were muted. So we sent an email in, the case was recalled, neither the defence, the PPS, nor the judge knew what they were doing was, was wrong. And at one point, the judge actually said, I, I, I'm not sure of the procedures here. And yet he had granted an order on the back of not knowing the procedures. So out of four sectors with an interest, only the press knew how to do it right. And that's really quite worrying. Oh, and why is that? Why are the court? I mean, is this this isn't something that's coming out fresh and new. It's, it sounds no. like it's been around for a while. Why don't they know? Well, we've tried to engage with the Chief Justice. We've, we've offered to finance and to facilitate training. We're very, very open to discussion, but there it just seems to be let's try it. And right. where there is an issue about sexual offending, it's front and centre every time. And it's never that they had long-standing issues. They develop the issues as they're arrested. A private psychiatrist gives them an assessment who refuses to come to court for any questioning down the line. Um, and we, we really we have to fight extremely hard to get those orders lifted. And they are usually only removed at the end of the case so they've had anonymity by default throughout the trial which is at a different um it's not parity of esteem with any other person coming into court so you know it's they're breaching parity but we we cannot get it through some judges have come around superbly others we just we just constantly are i mean i used to do one of these applications once a month now it's once a week and it is extremely difficult to try and keep on top of the amount of cases that defence lawyers want kept out of press. And when you have a sympathetic judge who doesn't want to make waves, this is what happens. Brilliant. Well, I'm just hearing that there is a an imminent statement about to be released in relation to the ongoing search for the baby 
of Constant Martin, but we'll stay with you for now, Tanya. Tanya, there is another very significant case which is developing and is ongoing, which is the tragic shooting of DCI John Caldwell in Omar on Wednesday night in front of his son. He remains in a critical condition. That's a huge story over there and takes us back, sadly, to the fear mm -hmm. and the worries of the horrific troubled times. It's been, it was a very out of the blue. Um, there are, the police are very insistent that they're following a number of lines of inquiry. Um, he, the officer is substantially injured and um, uh, it's, it, you know, at the minute it's still too early to say, but um, we have not had that level of attack here. Uh, it's a long time from I have been sent to cover we have had scares. We have had the, what are now known as security alerts, which involve police officers. But this was a very defined hit. Uh, you know, you, you 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 get people who have gone to an area which is full of children and young people and lots of others training on. I don't like to use the word cross community because I don't like it. Across the community is better for me. You have everybody training there, all sorts of sports disciplines. They single this man out and they shoot him um, and they, they, they shot into a number of cars, you know, whether that was by accident or not. But that is not the level of attack that we have seen in Northern Ireland for some considerable time. And the method of shooting has varied slightly in terms of what perhaps you would have expected? Well, we're now told it was it's too handguns pistols um previously those would have the, the method of choice would have been a sonar shotgun or similar um but very rarely would there have been a handgun used uh that's why it's it's confusing as to who might be behind there was a form which the police seemed to be equivocating on slightly because it was originally said it was claimed by a particular group, but it was in a very vague way. Um, seven people were arrested, four have been released unconditionally, and the other three probably time will be up today to either charge or, or re uh, release. And because each of them was arrested under the terror attempted murder, um, they have to be released unconditionally. <laughs> Is it, are things dangerous as a journalist over there? I mean, how do you feel about your own safety over there? Um, I'm probably under more threat from people I name in court. To be honest, um, right. we they do tend to have a. I have one live problem um, at the minute, which meant a certain amount of other measures had to be taken. Um, but as a rule. The press would generally be neutral to anybody who wanted to make a, a you know, to claim a, a, what we would call claim a hit. Um, so because we all we do is report the the facts, we don't mm. speculate. Uh, so we we try to stay neutral to be available for all sides, all crosses. But um, as a rule, no, you, you, well, you have to get on with it. That's all there is to it. Uh, we haven't got to the stage where we're in flak jackets yet, but. You know, it did happen years ago. You never know. And I think the claim of for DCI John Caldwell shooting has come from the real IRA. Am I right with that? 
the new IRA. They the would new, be of a similar similar yeah. sentiment. Yeah. So the new IRA, yeah. And and it, and is has there been an increase in you know tension in recent years? Um, there's always an undercurrent. Um, for a while, there would have been a level of infighting amongst various groups. Um, you have some people who are still very fixed on their views. Uh, so there'll always be an undercurrent. But uh, as a rule, it has been OK. I, I think the last they're now referred to as dissidents, which is the collective name for anybody who did not sign up to the Good Friday Agreement or Peace Accord, whatever you want to call it. That would then be, you know, there, there would be bubble bubbles up every so often uh, but asset level here had been dropped to medium which was great you know medium to us was great but um it's it's definitely not it's been a, there's been a, a lesser there definitely has been a lesser um on that level it, it seems to be more there's a bit of infighting okay. but that's going to happen everywhere yeah you know and just going back to those paedophiles, so w when you manage to get their name released into the public domain, is there a backlash? I mean, uh, their argument that they are then going to, you know, take their life or something like that. Has that happened? No, we've had none. Um, if I really thought the person was totally vulnerable, I probably would think it over. It's except, and I also want to be, very careful because there are significant mental health problems out there and uh, there are people who genuinely do attend court in a very poor mental state. As a matter of fact, I'd say 75% of people coming to court are not in a good mental state. But I wouldn't want anyone taking their own life. My concern is that there are others who are going to play on that because they can no longer say, sex charges and perhaps the victim there's a nexus there mm. oh well you, you, you can't name them because well we can we can name them but not name the nexus and once we got over that hurdle we started to be hit with this article two article two every time and just give a sense of some of the other work that you do on a day-to-day -day basis over there i mean obviously the work you've done you know, I have to praise massively, you know, you obviously know my background in terms of exposing sex offenders and paedophiles. So someone else that takes up that mantle and, and gets mm -hmm. it out there, brilliant. So firstly, well done and please keep going. What's the other day-to-day -day challenges that you face over there, particularly uh, as a reporter? Uh, the bulk of my work is half LDR, half court. So the works that I would be going through there would be very um, local authority. Uh, well, we are, we're one massive local authority over here. It's so small. But um, we would do a lot of holding to account. And that isn't liked. Uh, so you tend to get a bit of a kickback there. Uh, government over here has yet to learn, really, what local democracy reporters do. Um, but we'll, um, I, I, I would say... In the main, the bulk of my work on the other side of it with court probably takes up the majority of time in preparation. A lot of cases going on, a lot of cases that we've helped to get to court, which were not easy. I'm not, I'm not going to uh, come away from that. It was very difficult, hugely frustrating to get around areas of, of, uh, of um, police and investigations. But we got there 
and then we were hit with vast challenges after that so you're it's always on the move you've always something to wake up to to do and what is the support for regional journalism? I've joined NewsQuest, and one of the reasons I joined NewsQuest is that I'm passionate about regional and local journalism because I believe that that is where all the national stories come from. They all start in an area. And what we need to do is, is champion the brilliant work that's been done by local reporters and help increase their, you know, their, their knowledge, their understanding, how to do some of those investigations. What is it like in your relationship with your readers? Are they very engaged in local regional journalism? It seems to be, yes. We're the I'm with the only NewsQuest outlet in Northern Ireland. I, I cannot fault them, you know, where there's been an issue, they've been on the ball every time. Um was only there's only as I said the one outlet. So um we have a great team there. They're really fantastic. I was just they have a little WhatsApp group and it never stops. You know, it is 24-7, seven days a week, somebody's always keeping out an eye. It's fascinating to watch, you know, this constantly keeping up to speed with everything. It doesn't matter what time it is. It's up on the website, you know. And you, you, um, you have a great passion for it. I mean, I love it. You, your, your, your charisma comes through on the camera is that you love what you're doing <laughs> and you're passionate about it. Well, I like to get it done and then you move to the next one because – there's always going to be something else waiting for you. There really is. But it is a huge satisfaction whenever you get something over the line that has been lying, you know, almost rotting in the background. And when you get that work, it's not about a sensationalism. It's about simple communication of the facts. And once you can get that, you've, you've done your job, but you move to the next one. And is there anything in particular that you're working on at the moment you can talk about? Um, well, we've got about another three anonymity orders coming up. So that's part of it. That's always in the background now. Um, we have um, a couple of other issues with a major trial coming up that it really was a matter where, you know, I, I don't know how many people I fell out with to get that over the line. It was a horrendous case. It was a murder and that should be due to go to Crown Court soon. And I have to be honest, the the abuse and interference that I took on that one was shocking. But I can't and I don't want to say anything about that until it's over. Uh, so we'll, um, simply because I don't want to say anybody's jeopardising a fair trial, mm. but it, it's a horrendous case and it was also blindingly obvious that there were errors had been made. So... And without but, going into detail, can you, the, the abuse that you've suffered from people within mm -hmm. authorities or the public? Uh, the original police team, for a start. Right. Uh, I, they, I was phoning in information when the per person was still alive, simply because I had covered the person in a previous case uh, who had used similar behaviour. Um, and the police were dismissive and really quite disgraceful. And um, when we finally got over the line, which took six months and a lot of lost evidence, um, I, we then I then applied to under an access request for all my information that I'd provided, and it was wiped. It had all been completely wiped, and um, sure. but I had kept records at my end, and I photocopied them all and sent them to the chief constable and said, "Your move." 
and suddenly it appeared. So, yes, there has been some horrendous problems and a lot of back off. This is way outside your league. Maybe it is. But we'll, you never get into your next league until you practice. So you have to keep going. And uh, But it, it has been a long fight, a long, very distressing fight because it is close and it's a child, well, a young person. And um, it's it's just not been overly pleasant. But we're on the other side of it now and kept a note of everything, of course. But you just keep moving. Beyond that, I'm doing a lot of work on changing, hoping to change the PM1 form that police use at the scene of a death, a domestic death. Um, we're trying to get a, a, which is if a person dies, but in domestic circumstances, where right. everybody who they attend they fill out a PM wanted a death. We now want a box included in that, which states if there were domestic violence histories. Okay. That has come from the fact that a lot of victims in probably the last three years were written off as suicides, which is just really? not really good enough. Uh, now, some of them may well have been, but there is no requirement for them to state, well, this person reported domestic abuse numerous times, so we're trying to get that moved and we are also trying to tackle the police ombudsman who resolutely will not they changed slightly but they have reverted they will not let anyone report a complaint about a police officer over a domestic death if they are not family and as we all know domestic violence victims rarely have contact with their family so we're locked we're totally locked with them. Even the Department of Justice has backed the argument that we have, but they are not, uh, the Ombudsman won't move. So we're now potentially judicially reviewing that. Well, you you are doing a brilliant job. Just bear with us because I'm just going to bring uh, JD in. JD, have we got any questions? Yes, we do. Uh, thanks for um, uh, bringing us in and um, thanks for everyone for leaving uh, the great comments um, below. So <clears throat> uh, predominantly, uh, we've had loads of people um, uh, praising your work, which is uh, obviously absolutely fantastic. So uh, uh, these are from YouTube. So two up, two down uh, says, well done to this lady for exposing it. Uh, that's a sentiment echoed by uh, Miss Wee Lassie as well, who says, uh, yes, very brave lady. Hats off to her for what she's achieved so far. So the first question really is, um, uh, you know, what's the sort of the general reaction um, to your work? Do you do you find that you're quite praised within the community? And then secondly, I sort of had by just listening to you, obviously, it's been a uh, really, you know, a really interesting conversation. And um, I just had one question on my own, which is, um, obviously, the recognition of um, the importance of mental health has taken massive strides in recent years and widely um, obviously celebrated um, as, as a great thing, whether that be in the workplace or or in general life. Um, so in your mind, how do we balance people's mental health with the justice system? Um, so in the case of you've listed, it's fairly obvious to me, at least, um, that the mental health of a sex offender doesn't take precedent over the importance of of justice in that case. Um, but in other cases, it might be more complex. So what's your thoughts? Um, mental health is first and foremost, uh, as far as I see it, it's because it's the one that you, if, if your brain isn't in good form, it's the engine that drives the rest of you. And if it's if there's a problem there, there's going to be a fault. So. I would be very sensitive to anyone with mental health issues. And I I openly will say I didn't oppose 
a reporting restriction in the in the case of a young gentleman with Down syndrome, who and that is not obviously a mental illness, that is a, a mental disability. But I was concerned that he may come under some form of attack because of his vulnerability. Um, as it was, the case fell apart, so it, it didn't go anywhere. It was not a sex issue, by the way. However, there are and I will always be and press will always be sensitive to mental health issues and there isn't enough support or the correct support. However, I do have to balance that against do we use that as an excuse for offending or it's the it's it needs to be balanced against the offence. Um, there are people who, for example, people who are severely addicted will steal uh, to fund their addiction. That may, uh, Personally, if I was a judge, I would be trying to have those people placed in a unit to ha- as a sentence, nearly, to have them come cleaned uh, or else they're just going to keep coming back. But that doesn't, those are the people who never seek anonymity. They just get on with it. But it is a massive, massive issue. Uh, Jodie, I'm not quite sure. What was the other question you asked? I didn't take a note. So uh, the other question was just sort of the general um, uh, uh, sort of response to the work that you've been doing. Obviously, you've spoken about, um, uh, uh, at great length sort of about um, obviously some of the attacks that you might come under from from people. But in terms of sort of some of the good stuff, some of the um, some of the praise that we've been seeing for yourself in the comments section, is that um, something that you see on a day to day basis? Uh, well, never underestimate the phrase, don't shoot the messenger, because we get shot constantly. The messenger is permanently getting, you know, and that's all we are is the messenger. And you can bet your life somebody will say, oh, well, they just made that up. And I've got tired of that now, so I just move on. But in general, um, yeah, but you, you, you do get a draw. You do get where you have where you've got a result. Or maybe got something over the line for someone else, not even yourself. It is a hugely rewarding feeling, um, but but on, they're 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 much less frequent than the criticism would be. I have to say that. That's great, and I've actually got one one final question actually for you, um, and I think it's quite a, quite an important one because uh, I, I, you know working in the in the newspaper industry, I do know um, uh, what this is, but potentially people won't know what it is, and obviously it is literally your job isn't it um and uh, it was why you got to meet jackie either uh, when you won your award what, what, what is a local democracy reporter um how did it start uh, what do they do and why are they important local democracy reporters were uh, were commissioned by it's a it's a service commissioned by the bbc who uh moved put reporters out in various air, council areas um there are i think i think it was slightly over was it 155 at the last, but every council area has a local democracy reporter. In Ireland, or in Northern Ireland, I should say, I'm one of the part-timers because my council is, I've only one council, most have two. We cover council meetings, we challenge local authority, um, we basically put out in the public what was not necessarily that well known before and we have to do it in such a way that when we hear for example a councillor oh I won't discuss this now I want this discussed in private session so we then are asking well why was that blocked from the public you know public public have a right to know these decisions are about them and actually the health there's a health subcommittee on the, on, on the council I work with and um, uh, 
can't say I work with, I cover. Um, and they originally met in private, but when the COVID situation hit, you know, we said, you know, you're going to have to let people in here. And they argued and they messed about, and then finally they changed it and allowed access. But they still have their confidential section at the end where there's anything controversial is popped in there, but it's a start. We're getting there. Uh, it's been going since late, since early 2019. I joined late 2019 and uh, I'm the only News Quest LDR in Northern Ireland. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit unique, but it's, it, it is extremely enlightening. Um, we like to say that the, an LDR is the sort of, they're a specialist type of reporter because you do have to dig. You do have to get answers and you do have to fight. And as yet, local authorities over here aren't that keen. They don't maybe know what we're doing and they question us and they say, who's giving you the right to do this? But as long as you go back and say, it's the public, just look at answers. It's all we need. If they don't give answers now, we simply, we, we, well, I certainly publish the questions they won't answer. So we've got a slightly better um, understanding now of where each side is coming from. Tanya, you are doing a brilliant job. And I have to say, it's quite, it yeah, warms my heart when I hear someone <laughs> taking on the authorities like you do. Uh, and to be as passionate as you are, you know, you, you're smiling, you're happy. You, you're obviously engrossed in the work that you do, you know, 24 hours a day, you look at your WhatsApp, a bit like me, really. But I think that's brilliant. <laughs> I think that's absolutely brilliant. And you're doing a you're sterling job. You're doing a sterling job over there. So you know, I support you know, all of those comments that are coming into you. You know, keep going, keep working hard. A journalist life, sometimes, you know, the highs are the highs are very high, but the lows are very low. And what you have absolutely. to do is just keep fighting. So look after yourself. I'm so pleased Thank that you. you you found the time to join us. And do keep us updated with that other case. I'd be fascinated to hear how that gets on and with perhaps you could come back and join us in due course and talk us through you know how difficult it was for you particularly mm -hmm. when the police you know shut the doors and and mm -hmm. started to behave in the manner that they did yeah it was rough but we got there keep going look after yourself mm -hmm. thank you so much take care take care that was Tanya Fowles, fantastic lady. She's doing a storming job for the impartial uh, over in Ireland. So you can you can look her up on the, on the internet and follow some of her stories. But she's been instrumental, absolutely instrumental in gaining the anonymity lifting in relation to sex offenders. So a brilliant, brilliant job. Thank you so much, Tanya. Let's move now back to the main story that we've been covering, a story that's been dominating the media over the last, well, 54 days, but particularly over the last 24 hours when there was a major development, the arrest of Constant Martin and her partner, Mark Gordon, arrested initially for child neglect, and that subsequently moved on to manslaughter in relation to gross negligence and the child. The child has now become the centre of a huge police search, looking everywhere so that they can possibly find this child. For the last 24 hours, they've searched the allotments, they've searched the golf course, they've searched the streets. You can see on the footage there at night, police officers 
doing everything possible to try and find this baby. Of course, there is one answer to where this child is that could be given very quickly, and that is if Constant Martin and Mark Gordon spoke. They are in custody, refusing to engage with the police in any way at all, not sharing any information, and significantly, we still don't know whether this child is a boy or a girl. The placenta was found in the back of the car that was found on the M61 when they initially went missing on the 5th of January. And since then, they have not communicated with anybody. We don't know the sex of the child. And still, even in custody now, Constance and Mark are refusing to talk to the police. They could literally stop this. They could end this immediately. They could stop wasting all the hours that the police are having to give to this, take them away from many, many other cases because they are desperate to find this baby. But they won't. They remain utterly silent. And of course, as a result of that, it means that everywhere that they could been, where they have been, is being searched. We got exclusive footage the Brighton Argos got it and have shared it with us. And that exclusive footage showed both Constant Martin and Mark Gordon last night on their way, sorry, the night before, on their way to the shops where they were going to buy some supplies. We can see there just in the right and now walking. That is Constant Martin wearing a big coat and a dress and followed very slowly by Mark Gordon with a big stick, which is obviously being used to walk, and with a severe limp. That was them on their way to the shop where they bought some items, some supplies, and it was on their return from that shop to where they had been, which we understand was close to the allotment, where they were sighted by a member of the public. That member of the public called 999, followed them for a short period of time, kept them under observation. Police turned up in considerable numbers and arrested both. Initially, Mark Gordon apparently resisted arrest. He was taken to the floor and then Gordon, sorry, Constant Martin was arrested, both taken into custody. And that is where they remain. The huge search is underway. We're going to bring you shortly to a press conference, which is going to give us an update from the superintendent, I suspect, in relation to uh, what they have been doing. This is an area of 91 square meters that they are currently searching, huge, huge area. And as a result, they are using every available resource that they have. The Metropolitan Police have provided mutual aid, but Sussex Police are providing everything they can. That includes drones, helicopter, police dogs, and of course, the back end elements so the footprints in terms of internet mobile phones and anything else that they can gather there'll be a huge intelligence trawl now to try and find out where they have been is there anything that can give them an indication of where they've been such as mobile phone sim cards anything that they've got credit cards that they can gain access to that they can see where they perhaps bought anything most probably mo uh, cash that they've paid, so probably unlikely, but you never know. They've managed to stay off the radar for certainly not being caught for those 54 days until you know, day before yesterday. So 
Jody, I know that we're joining very shortly with the Argos Live. Are there been any questions that have come in? Yeah, hi, Mark. Um, there's been a number of questions that have come in. Obviously, we started off the um, the show today um, talking uh, about this case. Obviously, a very important case. Um, this stream has obviously just gone up onto the um, onto the Argus into their live blog, so we're getting a lot of that audience uh, joining us now. Um, so, um, the number of questions, obviously, that have come in earlier and are coming in now um, about the case. Um, so, I think um, quite a key one here. Um, this one's from Morgan Lefay. Um, when was the baby last seen? So the baby was last seen in New Haven, uh, which is a short distance, I'm told, from Brighton on January the 9th. That was when the baby was last seen. So a fair number of days ago uh, from then until now, that was when the baby was last seen. And um, so the um, the police, hang on, I'm just going through a couple of ones um, here now. Um, there's been quite a few come through, not all of them helpful. Um, but if you do have any questions, obviously um, uh, leave them uh, leave them below. Um, so one of the questions um, I've seen asked is, um, you know, at what point um, do they stop looking for the baby? Um, is this something that constantly goes on? Um, you know, in your own experience, obviously you're 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 an ex um, detective yourself. Um, at what point um, do you sadly um, have to say um, that the baby's no longer? Um, uh, it's going to be possible, impossible to find them. So what the police will have done, they will have point their point of arrest, and then they will have identified where they were sleeping, uh, either through a tent or through sleeping bags or items. So from that point, they will then done an inner cordon. So they'll have looked in a close local proximity. That inner cordon could be. 50 metres, it could be 100 metres, it's whatever's determined by the search team coordinator. So that will be their inner cordon. They'll be looking within that area for, obviously, the baby. Once they've eliminated that and they're confident that they're not within that area, then they open the cordon up further. So the cordon might go from 100 metres to 400 metres, 500 metres. And then it gets wider and wider and wider once they close down the elements of that cordon. They'll get to a point, of course, where it becomes incredibly wide and they can't physically search all of that area. So they'll then be looking at other ways to perhaps do that, whether that is uh, through drones, whether that's through helicopter. Uh, of course, helicopters and drones both have heat seeking uh, facilities and heat seeking facilities means that if there is a, uh, a temperature being given off in this instance by the baby, that hopefully will resonate when they put the heat seeking uh, device onto the drone or the helicopter. Uh, difficult, of course, sometimes when it's within properties or whether it's particularly, you know, uh, uh, wrapped up in a rug or something, but it, they will be using that. They'll also obviously be trying to look at disturbances in areas where perhaps people have been where they haven't been previously. So all of that will be looked at. When do they stop? Well, they'll stop only when they feel that that area has been utterly exhausted and there is no other options left for them. The police will be completely determined to find this baby. There are certain crimes that happen. There are certain things that happen where the police literally become utterly absorbed and passionate about it. And I can tell you, as a police officer, when I've dealt with cases involving young children and babies, you know, you, you, you know, and particularly as a father myself, that you just don't stop. You just keep going. And, and these officers will be working tirelessly. We saw yesterday the blue tent that went up, and that blue tent was, in fact, a, ref, ref, a refreshments tent, uh, making sure that the officers were kept 
you know, rehydrated, had food so that they could keep searching. Uh, and they searched throughout the night. There wasn't a moment last night where the officers didn't stop because every minute is crucial. You know, we talk in terms of the golden hour. You know, that golden hour is the, you know, the period of time after the crime has occurred where we need to find the, uh, the evidence, in this case, obviously, the baby. What is, of course, more difficult here is that that golden hour may have passed. That golden hour may be back to January the 9th or in the days after that. Yes, they were arrested yesterday, but that baby has not been seen since January the 9th. Where have they been in that period of time? Who have they had access to? Where could that baby possibly be? And whilst they're searching the areas, obviously, around where they are, there's no certainty that the baby is in that area. Jody, any others? Yeah, we've had obviously a number of um, uh, questions coming in now. We've switched the coverage back to um, uh, to the to the sad case um, uh, we're finding in Brighton today. Um, so um, there's been a couple of couple of um, a couple of statements, a couple of questions. Um, this one's from uh, Kyla, uh, who who just says, "I just pray uh, this innocent baby is found alive, safe and well." And obviously, that was your remarks uh, yesterday, um, Stacey. Um, is an interesting question. I think we already know the answer to this because obviously this was the development yesterday at the press conference. Um, but what can they be charged with without finding uh, the baby itself? So let's talk in general terms. I think it's important. Yeah, this is currently sub judice, so it's subject to criminal investigation. Both have been arrested initially for child neglect, child neglect in relation to the fact that that child uh, wasn't receiving the medical attention and care that was necessary for development. And then secondly, in relation to gross negligence, manslaughter. So if a person is arrested for manslaughter or murder, one of the things, of course, for the authorities to prove is that the individual is dead. That is the first thing. We call it signs of life. You know, what are the signs of life? And can we show that that individual is dead? And as a result of that, they will be looking to see, because they've got the proof that the child was born in the first place, And where is that child now? And is there evidence to support that that child no longer lives? Now, the fact that they are not talking, they are not communicating in any way, they're not offering up where that child is in terms of saying, well, they are safe and well, it's fine, they are safe and well. They're not doing that in any way at all. So, of course, the police have some strong evidence that the child was alive. They now have evidence that the child is missing. What they have to do now is to fill that middle area which is where is the child and is the child alive? And that will be what they are working on massively now is to find that child because either they find the child alive or they find the child dead, in which case that will determine what action happens next with them. Um, so if they are you know, they're also bound by time limits. They can't keep them in custody forever. So there has to be a point to which they could um, you know, charge them. They are slightly assisted because they could charge them with one offence, which is the child neglect. They could remand them in custody and they could ongoing continue the investigation to find the child and whether or not that results in any other further charges. So there are options open to the police. But first and foremost for them now is to find that child, that baby. Where is that baby? They know. They have the answers. Constant Martin and Mark Gordon know exactly 
where that child is, but they will not communicate. Some of the things I had yesterday sent to me, both on my Instagram and my Twitter account, was 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 anger, real anger towards them. And I understand that. I absolutely understand that. And some people say to me, you know, over your years, when you've interviewed people, have you struggled to interview people and stay calm when they have committed the most horrendous crimes? And the simple answer is yes. Because for me, first and foremost, is getting the evidence, finding out I'll be the best friend for whatever the individual has done. I'll be their, you know, their, their friend in front of them. They can, you know, can talk to me, engage with me. I won't make any judgment because f for me, I can put that all to one side. I need to know where that child is. And I have to say, you know, the police are doing a sterling job. I think their communication has been really positive. I thought the superintendent yesterday uh, and the chief superintendent from the local force were really articulate, very clear, very precise in terms of what they were talking. Uh, and I think as a result of that, you know, everybody is really, really behind them to support them in any way possible to try and find this young baby. Jody, anything else? Yeah, so um, we've had a question come in, and I think um, this is actually a question that's been asked uh, by a lot of people, um, and certainly uh, by the by the police. Um, is there a possibility that the child could actually, you know, be alive and being cared for by a relative or a friend? Yes, I mean the police talked about this yesterday. The police talked in terms of uh, hope, hope that the baby is still alive, but being realistic to the reality. The, the fact that they haven't seen the baby since the 9th of January. There's no indication from the family of where that baby is. The, those hopes are getting slimmer and slimmer. And in fact, they came out very clearly this morning and said that the chances now of finding the baby alive, they acknowledge, are very, very slim. But they live in the hope. And I think this has given some strength by the fact that they took a considerable amount of money. They took £15,000 out of her inheritance. And that £15,000 was a sum that they had that they could go effectively for the last 54 days off grid and live in a way that they could simply use cash. Now, that doesn't last forever. And they may have spent an awful lot of that cash uh, in terms of living and, and uh, traveling and moving around. But there is the hope and there is the slightest of hope. And of course, whenever something like this happens, one has to live and hope, even though it's so, so small, that there will be a right, a positive answer, that there will be something, a glimmer of hope. And that's what the police are, uh, are holding on to, that glimmer of hope that the baby is still alive is being cared for, being looked after by someone. Of course, it's probably pretty slim because I can't see why that individual, given what's taken place, would not come forward and say something, and they clearly aren't. I think the chances of that baby being with someone are very slim. They're most likely to be uh, with somebody, uh, unlikely to be with somebody, and most probably out and about somewhere where they've been staying, where they've been sleeping, close to that proximity. And we don't know where they've been since the 9th of January. Five miles down the road from Brighton, it doesn't take that long to get up there. So where have they been in that period of time? Jody, any other questions? 
Yeah, we, we, we obviously we're going to go down to the um, we've got the live stream um, uh, that the police are going to be giving a statement on um, very shortly. We're expected between half one to two today. So we'll, we'll be cutting to that. But um, just sort of one final question that I've seen being asked, which um, will be interesting to, to, to get your thoughts on. Um, but what how do you think a detective approaches an interview um, with uh, with the with the couple? Um, with obviously, you know, all the context um, with this wider, um, with a wider, wider investigation into where the baby is, whether the baby's still alive, um, how they've been living for the last few months, um, you know, the backgrounds of both. How, how does a detective um, approach an interview like that in the aim of getting the, the, the information that everyone needs, which is, you know, what's happened to the baby? Well, they'll go in there very open-minded, trying to engage with the individuals, both with Constant Martin and Mark Gordon. They'll be sharing, I'm sure, to Constance the messages that come from her father and her mother, the support there. Uh, they'll be trying to engage them. They'll be trying to communicate with them on a level that doesn't necessarily involve talking about the baby or just you know, where have you been, what have you been up to, what is it we can do to help you, what are your fears, what are your anxieties, why is it you've done this, why have you got to hate for the authorities to a degree and they'll be mixed that up there'll be real care in terms of how do we do that do we do uh, are they better responding to a female to a male is it better to have a male and a female young old all of those things will be very carefully taken into consideration there'll be a very clear interview strategy in terms of them and they'll swap that around as well they may be having two officers speak and then they may swap that around they may have the officers that talk to mark also talk to constance they will be separated. They won't be in communication at all with each other. They'll be monitored. They'll be in a police cell where there is a camera, obviously obstructing you know, the private areas, but it will be viewed constantly 24 hours by the custody officers because they are and they will be considered to be a risk to themselves. So they'll be doing everything possible just to try and engage with them. What we know about people is they love talking. And as a result of that, you know, certainly interviews I've done, it's very, rare, very rare. I can probably tell you one interview where I've got no comment. The rest of the time, people engage. They talk over a period of time. Sounds like these two are certainly not providing the information. We don't know if they're in, are talking in any way. But what we do know is they're definitely not providing the information that is needed to find this baby. One of the questions that I've seen myself that has been asked is, you know, how long can they hold these two in custody? Well, they can initially hold them for a period of 24 hours. That can then be extended to 36 hours and then to 96 hours, after which time they need to charge them with a crime or release them on bail. And so we are approaching now, obviously, some of those time limits where they need to make applications either to a senior officer or then to a court in order to hold them, to uh, interview them. And the reason for holding them in a police station would be to further the investigation, would be to uh, ask them questions in relation to that. And because it's a very much a live investigation where they're looking to find the individual, this is for them the really important period of time. So they need to keep them in custody. They need to keep asking them questions. They need to keep, keep trying to see if they can do anything that breaks down that outer shell of both of them that enables them to talk. Jodie. 
So um, we just got word, actually, the the press uh, conference, which was due at one, pushed back to half one uh, slash two, is now going to be at two thirty. Um, so what we what we're going to do is actually bring down um, uh, this live and start a separate one um, in the next sort of sort of twenty minutes or so. So if you are interested in seeing that um, a press release uh, press conference, uh, don't worry, it is going to be live on our channel. Um, it'll just be on a separate feed. So uh, obviously, make sure you subscribe. Um, just uh, keep an eye out in, in the live section. And you'll see it appear sort of in about 20 or 30 minutes. Brilliant. Thank you, Jody. Well, thank you again for following. This is an up has been an update in relation to the ongoing case of Constant Martin and the baby and her partner, Mark Gordon, who remain in custody. There's a huge search underway by over 200 police officers searching an area of 91 square miles, a huge area. Everybody is hoping and praying that there will be a positive outcome, that this baby will be found alive and be looked after. But as the hours go by, the days now pass, that is looking less and less likely. Join us back to the live press conference where hopefully we will get an update from the police in relation to both those two in custody and their search. Thank you for watching.